You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. Oh, I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old trouble on the drum and kick all trouble out the door beat me that rhythm on the drum beat me that rhythm on the drum beat me that rhythm on the drum and kick all trouble out the door kick him 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 out the door welcome to radical australia on community radio 3cr streaming live on 3cr.org This program is podcast. It'll be podcast within the next 24 hours. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. The irrepressible Kelly Whitworth is here. Hello, Joe. How are you? I was well. Then I saw the guests and I thought, what a boring (laughs) interview we're going to have. No, that was you looking in the um, the mirror, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, Well, I don't think the guest has a beard. No, they don't have she a beard. She doesn't have a beard. She no. doesn't have a beard. No. No bearded lady. No bearded woman here. No, no. But you. Have but a she beard. does have. She does have a little badge on her yes. uh, skirt, which is prone to mischief. Yeah, prone to mischief. Maybe she's not as dull as no, I thought she was. No, I don't think she's was. dull at all. No. Well, welcome, Julie Mack. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, but you're not that good, are you? You tell tell us what happened to you when you got from Bendigo. To uh, Spencer Street. Oh, thanks. Throw me in it. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been to Melbourne for a long time, and I know the last time that I caught a cab, I said, that's it, I'm never catching a cab again. Mm. Well, I forgot and got off the train, got into a cab at the taxi rank, and he looked up the fare, said $55 prepay. And I knew I was getting ripped off, but I couldn't be bothered doing anything about it and thought it makes a good story. Usually I go to Bali to get ripped off with a taxi with no meter. So one may not be a taxi, could be an Uber. Mm, that's what you said. And two, this is bad for the city. $55 to travel, 10, well, about 7Ks. That's pretty good. I did pay once $235 to travel from Iceland uh, air, main airport to Reykjavik, the capital, and mm-hmm. that was 40 kilometres. So, well, welcome to the, the world of being ripped off. But the thing is, I wasn't ripped off. That was on the metre. Yeah. <laughs> so I suggest you ring up the Lady Mayoress, have a chat. No, no, this is serious. I know. You paid with a credit card. There is a line of investigation this is bad for the city of Melbourne. This is the last thing the city of Melbourne wants to hear. Poor little folk from regional Victoria being ripped off by us slick city slickers. Mm, grey-haired old lady what hobbling year, along. What year were you born, grey-haired old lady hobbling along? 1963. 
That's not old. Have you had your birthday yet? Mm. March. March. Pisces. Weak and weepy. Well, welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the Old People's Brigade. (laughs) Unfortunately, Kelly Whitworth is young and vibrant and irrepressible and she has hope. But when she gets to our age, we'll make sure we squeeze every last vestige. Go away. Go away from me right now. I love that line from the movie The Dressmaker when mm. they're handing out the hash brownies yes, and she yes, says, she's young. She doesn't understand pain. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I think Kelly understands pain. She's a pain processor. <laughs> Let's love forget. that. I love that. I'll put that on my resume. <laughs> you'll go far. You'll become, an, you'll become an S&M madam before you know. <laughs> now, Julie Mack. Yes. That's a strange name. Mack. Where did all that come from? Okay. So when I started <laughs> high school, my best friend was Julie Jenkinson. Right. So when you've got two girls called Julie mm. in um, Form 1, that's what it was back in those days, mm. We decided to um, be able to, so they could tell us apart. Um, she was going to be Julie J, and I was going to be Julie Mac. So without her, there wouldn't be a Julie Mac, and Mac is short for McNamara. McNamara, right? Did so. you change it legally? No, no. she doesn't. Need no, you, not your friend, but you. She doesn't need to change it <laughs> legally. She's got a badge on saying prone to mischief. <laughs> she is very mischievous. <laughs> That's what I mean. That's that. If you haven't got, if you've got an alias, you're not anybody, are you? Julie. <laughs> they used to laugh at um, my old job and um, say that I'd get married again and needed just to add Smith and Renouf to the end of my name. <laughs> Peacock as well. And Peacock, yeah. because yeah, my first husband had a, a double banger name and Did then, oh, then right. I reverted to my maiden name and then I married again. So right, they were always right. changing the right, uh, right. internal directory. Yep. Look, we've got an uninvited guest that's just walked into the studio to destroy the ambience which we're created to get her pathetic water. Oh, I can't believe you think You'd think this is some bodgy little... Did I use the word bodgy? Bodgy little roll. Oh, that's a little hint. <laughs> a little hint. Yeah, but we're, not, we're just going to tease the listeners. Well, the listener. Now, you've had an interesting life. Hmm. Hmm. Did you graduate from high school? Yes. You did? Yes. And what happened after that? Uh, I got a job. Really? Yeah, in those days, sort of, women weren't necessarily, well, the women that I knew, the mm. girls I knew, we weren't encouraged to further our it's education. Well, like, education in regional Victoria or something? No, in Croydon. In Cro- I can Victoria. understand, regional Victoria, yeah. Croydon in those days. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, you, I think one of our class became a doctor. Mm. Everyone else became nurses, teachers, secretaries, and mm. my mother was a secretary, so I went down the office admin path mm. and did that for about 30 years. Right, and your parents still alive? Yes, they both are. Well, they must be in their 80s at least. Yeah, Dad's 81 and he's mm. just gone into um, a home down in Kilsyth. Mm-hmm. So he'll be giving them, um, terrorising them. And Mum hoards greyhounds and dogs and she lives in Werribee. Well, at least your dad hasn't moved far from Croydon, mm. <laughs> Croydon to Kilsyth. They're kind of kissing cousins, Croydon and Kilsyth. I was there on Monday. Yeah. Have you been back to Croydon? Uh, only to go down and visit Dad and my right. stepmother. Mm-hmm. But um, occasionally I might stop in the main street. But it's right. it's the same, but it's not. No, it's not. No, mm. it's actually got one or two takeaways. 
and more than the normal Chinese takeaway. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, what was high school like? Um, I just ran amok. You ran amok. <laughs> yep. So, from the um, you know, the generation that we were, mm. you know, we were still smacked in schools, smacked at home, children should be seen and not heard. So I was fairly obedient during primary school. And then I don't know whether it was the, you know, the hormones of puberty, but when I got to high school, I um, just made sure I had as much fun as I possibly could. It was the 70s. Yeah. Yeah, it was the time. Hmm. The moratorium, the anti-conscription struggle. The Paris Riots. That was all off my radar. All off your radar. You were just <laughs> no. rebellious. Wasn't it in Spunky magazine? No, no. Wasn't no. It in Spunky? What, no. What, tell me about Spunky. Oh, it was an old music magazine. An old music. Yeah, in the seventies. It usually had Keith Lamb from Hush on the front cover, or, or Sherbert. My or friends like going that. out with um, one of the members of Hush. <gasps> really? My waxers going out with. One of the members of Hush. Oh. Well, we're not going to say. How's that? We're not going to out them. <laughs> no, we're not going to out the member. I didn't mention any names. No, I know that, but you've kind of narrowed the field, not really, haven't you? Not really. Well, how many how many people members were there in Hush? Four, Four. or five, I think. You've yeah, narrowed the field, remember. Kelly. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So, what type of um, work, uh, apart from secretarial, have you found yourself in over the years? Um. Office work, then secretarial. I went and worked for a um, a large global manufacturing company mm-hmm. that also only liked women in certain roles. Mm-hmm. And over the years, I managed to progress sideways and up, and I ended up in um, oh, manufacturing databases. So that was fun. It was like being paid to do cryptic crossword puzzles all day. It was um, manufacturing. Was good. Database. Mm. Is this pre-World Wide Web or post-World Wide Web? Before and after. You say. Mm. Much difference? Oh, yeah. We went from using telex machines to using fax machines to using email. (laughs) (laughs) But did it make any difference to your creativity and your productivity? Oh, what, working there? Well, you know, going through all those phases. You know, faxes, emails, telephone. Oh, I don't know. I think I've blocked it out. You just blocked it out. You just did what you had to do. Yeah. yeah. And were there any kiddies around at this time of your life as you were progressing through work? Yeah, I've got one daughter. She's mm. 31. Mm-hmm. And obviously she's very proud of her mum. Uh, usually she's embarrassed and pretends she doesn't know me. But um, <laughs> I think she's starting to... Um, Come around a bit. Now yeah, they do. Look, I've got, I got a few kids and uh, they go through phases. They do. And then they get to the stage where they um, need a bit of advices, I say. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so sometimes I'm wonderful and other times I'm in embarrassment. It just depends right, on what right. crazy scheme I've come up with lately. Right, right. Now, I understand, a little birdie has told me, that you're one of these, you know, family history buffs. When did that disease start? I don't really know. Probably when um, when I was working in manufacturing, I ended up being underemployed and underemployed. Underemployed. So I was able to have my work all done by about lunchtime. But you weren't able to go home. No, I wasn't allowed to go home. Mm. I wasn't allowed to reduce my hours because of global freeze headcount. 
stuff, politics. So I spent about five years um, and at work I wrote, worked on two books, researched my family tree and went back to night school and did my homework for a diploma while I was working. Diploma in what? Community services. Did that lead anywhere? Yep. um, I ended up going and doing a Bachelor in Criminal Justice. Oops. You're talking to a felon here. (laughs) (laughs) A Bachelor in Criminal Justice. Mm. Mm, What does that entail? I'm a bit, you know, perplexed. When um, uh, I was at Kangan TAFE Mm. and they uh, teamed up with Fed University and Mm. they were trying to encourage more people to enrol in the bachelor degree and I went into the information session and they put up two slides side by side and one was a list of the subjects for um, the Bachelor of Social and Community and Human Services or something and the other one was Criminal Justice and I looked at the subjects and thought I want to do profiling, I want to do... Profiling. Yeah, that was one of the subjects. Yeah, criminal profiling and, you know, oh, forensics. So oh. I found them more interesting than um, some of the social work theories that I would yeah. have had to have done in the other. So. As, as criminal profiling improved from the days of phrenology, where they used to, you know, look at the bumps on a person's head and determine their criminal... Career? Oh, I'm not sure. I think you'd have to ask the FBI. They're in charge of every, all the terms. and uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, because yeah, that's where it started from, you know, that mm. phrenology. Did they teach you that at Canyon uh, yes. Safe? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see those pictures of the felons and they that kind of said, if you had that bump and you look like that, you're one of them and prone to criminality. Mm. Do I look like a felon? Not at all. I look like a distinguished elderly gentleman. That's that's why I'm dangerous. Isn't it great having a disguise? <laughs> it's not a disguise, it's my own hair. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we, and I, I was talking about the fake nose. Oh, <laughs> I don't tell people about the fake nose. Oh. Next it'll be he'll make a comment about the straight teeth. Mm. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, so this is all very pedestrian obviously. So how many years was that? What was that? The bachelor degree. Um, I think I took about four years to do it and no. I got to the point where, and because of my age I was finding it, and where I live too in regional Victoria, I was finding it hard to um, to get a job. So I actually stopped studying and I only had two subjects to go. Mm. And then I started volunteering up in Lancefield in the, um, in the op shop there and in the fancy dress shop. And um, I met a woman up there and she said to me, oh, I'm going home to do my homework. And she was studying to be a lawyer. And I said to her that I only had two subjects to go and it had been nearly a year since I... And, and anyway, she nagged me into completing it. So That's good. Yeah, I was, I was glad I did. Did you go to graduation? I did. What did you wear? Mm, a black dress. No, 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 your gown. I don't care. Gown. What, what, I don't, did you oh, wear a no. gown and a yeah, cap? Yeah, gown and it had a sash, but I don't remember what colour. <laughs> might have been magenta. I think it would have been magenta for a mm. Bachelor of was it Criminal, whatever. Mm. Mm. Bachelor of Arts. Yeah. Did mm. that lead to a, go, a job with uh, Victoria Police or some other? No, they didn't want you. They didn't Mm-mm. knock on your door. Nobody said, here, you've done all this work, Mm-mm. here's a job, criminal profile. No. No. Is that a social sciences degree? 
I actually don't know the answer to that. Uh, Stop asking difficult questions, No, I'm just Kelly. trying to get an idea of where it fits within the learning it, in the university. It would be. It would be. It would be yeah, part of the right. social science. Uh, yeah. would be. It's kind of – it straddles – the science and the social science, right. physical science, social yeah, science. Yeah. It's a, a bit it, of psychology, yeah. what, a bit of sociology, all those different things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, and also obviously some real science too. Mm. <laughs> mm. So the only thing it did lead to, the only job that I was able to get with mm. it, because mm. of my age and where I lived, um, for a while I did some um, family violence crisis response on call overnights and on the weekends. Overnights and the weekends. Mm. How difficult was that? We didn't get called out all that often. Oh, you mean you actually, it's not this telephone garbage, you would actually go? Go out and pick up the um, the woman and, and or children that were right. escaping violence. So I might pick well, them up from you, the police station. Would you need police a police station. escort or no? No, um, it was all managed really well through Safe Steps and through the agency that I worked for. Right. So, uh they were very focused on safety and if they even thought there was any risk at all, they would... Um, yeah, the, the car was tracked. The phones were tracked. They right. were very safety conscious. Right. So people would end up in your hands, and obviously they're distressed. It's a it's a terrible time for everybody. So what would you do? Just be really kind, mm-hmm. and um, I always was told exactly what I had to do next. So you know, pick up this person from the police station. Take them to get some food if from the supermarket if mm-hmm. they um, if they feel like being out in the community. If not, take them to a safe motel that was always organised, and then I'd go out and get the food, just get them settled, and then come back and and just report. Mm-hmm. So it was it was mainly the material the material well, aid and transport. Mm. And um, did this have any lasting effect on you doing this type of work, especially? With an interrupted sleep? Um, not not that I know of. Not that you know yeah. of, right. For a while, I did um, for about five years as a counsellor in uh, drug and alcohol rehab. Mm-hmm. Uh, towards the end of that, I was a bit burdened, but I seem to be a little bit more resilient now. Right. It's called com- compartmentalisation. <laughs> You're good at that, Joe, aren't you? I'm perfect at it. I've been a doctor for 47 years. You don't, you don't compartmentalise, you're dead. I mean, you know, I'm very good at it. Yeah, I can <laughs> see that. That's why I asked. I was just interested because a lot of people aren't very good at it and uh, they usually have no use to themselves or the people they're looking after. Unfortunately, mm. not everybody's got that psychology, which is sad. But um, we're all different and we all have something to offer humanity. If we if we decide to go in that direction, so obviously, when did things start breaking down? When did you start looking at things like your family history? What happened? You got a job? You got a kid? You know, you've been through some tussles in your life. Um, I find that I tend to reflect back over my life and my childhood at different developmental stages, you know, like zero birthdays or on the birth of my daughter or my daughter's birthday, you know, if she, um, like, for example, my parents, I always thought my parents broke up when I was seven. Mm. And then a few years ago, I found some greeting cards and worked out they actually broke up when I was six. So I've got about six months of my life missing. 
and I believe I stayed at my grandmother's um, at the time because I was unable to stay in school because of the grief. And um, yeah, so every so often I just sort of look back over it and I'm probably, you know, more at peace with it all. Right. Mm. I'm talking about further back. When did you start going beyond your birth and the birth of uh, your parents? Oh, sorry. You're talking about the um, family history. Yeah, never be sorry on this program. You've got nothing to be sorry about. We're the ones who should be sorry because we didn't actually ask the question in the right way. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I guess when I had all that spare time when I was underemployed in the manufacturing. But you were being paid. Yes, I was being paid. I like this. Yeah. This is a good job. I had an uncle who was a, he was a, a gun boner. He's dead. He's been dead years now, decades. And uh, he was a member of the Meat Workers Union and he'd start work at 7 and come home at 11 because in those days the Meat Workers Union had a bit of punch and once you did your quota, you went home, but they wouldn't let you go home. You had to hang around. Mm -hmm. So you started using their equipment to look at your family history. Mm. So now I do remember exactly when it was. So when the internet sort of first started, there was um, my mother didn't know her father mm -hmm. and I'm a sticky beak. And what does she always say to me? You, you know, you should have left well enough alone. She's right. Yep. So the moment his birth certificate was available to be looked at, whenever that there's a certain amount of time before, I think it's, it's a hundred years, something days, like that. Yeah. 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 So the moment his birth certificate, I could get online. I looked up his birth certificate and found the name of his mother. And it was um, an unusual name, Wollstone Home. And so I Googled it and some fantastic family researcher had already done a whole heap of things on them and they were pioneers from Wangaratta. And then through that, there just happened to be a family reunion coming up. So I invited myself along to that and then I found out that, um, I can't remember how many greats, but uh, Sarah Davenport, her diary is in the State Library of Victoria and she's one of the few documented women on the goldfields. So um, that's one of the things on my to-do list. Um, right, to go through a diary. Yeah, I've been mm. through it a few times, mm. but she mentions names and places and I just sort of, you know, want to look it up. And mm. and which side of the family is this? Mum's. Mum's side, yeah. Yeah. And uh, anything on your father's side? Yeah, just before Christmas, I got an amazing Christmas present. Did you? Yeah, well, I just what a gold, a gold uh, sovereign in the mail. No, no? that'd be nice. <laughs> um, I discovered that my great great grandfather, great great grandfather, yeah, yeah, yep. uh, is arguably oh, one of Australia's first serial killers. So at the moment, well, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. Nice to have on your CV. You yeah, know, descended from a serial killer. A few people have said to me, you'd be the only person that would be excited about that. But that's probably partly because of the criminal justice background. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And that, they would have been doing phrenology on him, yeah. I can assure you. Well, actually, in the articles, it talks about him doing phrenology on the jury. Oh, what, he went and... Ooh. Well, I don't think he touched them, but I think yeah. he sort of looked at them yes. and sort of, you know, sussed them out. And ah. uh, it got down to, I think, the last juror and he was pissed. Yeah. So they, um, in the end, I think they let him stay on. I can't remember. I, I had to stop, force myself to stop doing that research to finish off another project. Right. But it's calling me. 
before, yeah. Mm. But there's a few podcasts at the moment and books and I think the, what the about Herald your family? Sun. About your Not family? about the serial killer. Uh, yeah. Obviously. Mm. It wouldn't have been the Herald Sun. It would have been the Herald... Was it the... Herald? No. Oh, no, recently. Oh, recently? Mm. Wow. Yeah, I think that some of the crime writers. Well, you uh, should sue them for defamation. Make a buck out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kelly, thank you for reminding it's me. It's enough to go and get my 55 bucks back from the taxi driver. Well, that's why you're going to ring up the Lady Mary. So if you don't do it, I'm going to get really annoyed. I'll do know? it and I'll, I'll report back. You'll report back. I'll report you, back. You'd be amazed how, because they're really keen to get people back into the city. There's a lot of full lease signs all over the place, especially mm. small businesses, and this is the type of thing that destroys trust look it's uh radical australia community radio 3cr855 on your am dial streaming live on 3cr.org.au the irrepressible producer kelly whitworth is doing what producers doing lining up new guests and typing away and looking at the net and doing all the garbagey things that (laughs) she's good at and i do all the boring things and speak to exciting people like (laughs) julie mack now, Julie, you gave me a segue. Mm-hmm. You said you were doing something else apart from chasing your family history on the boss's time. What else were you doing? Um, I self-published two books. Yep. And they've got a sort of um, specific niche market. So mm-hmm. uh, when I was a teenager, I was a, a Sharpie, which is a, um, a Australian, yep, Australian youth subculture based on fashion, music, hairstyle. And bashing and people up. I was about to get in first, <laughs> thanks. And violence. Yes, right. And part of the reason why people mm. are so uncomfortable with this violence is because we were children. Mm. We caught trains. We weren't bikers. We didn't drive, you know, we didn't have motorbikes. Mm. Some of the older boys may have had a car, but we caught trains. All right, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Mm. Obviously, you've written a book, and we'll talk about the book in a second. I'm going to ask you a few questions to clarify things in people's minds. Mm-hmm. What's a teddy boy? A teddy boy is um, based on like an English rocker. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, they sort of wore Edwardian clothes, had sort of Elvis-type hair, but a bit buffier. Yeah, and this was similar period or a bit earlier? No, that's the 1950s. The Australian version were the bodgies and the widgies. Right. Explain what a bodgie and, the wid- and a widgie is, was. Um, <laughs> is it- you know what? Think about Happy Days and Leather Tuscadero. Right, Yeah, right. so Fonzie. Um, and a bit of violence. Yeah, and a bit of violence. Between them and the Sharpies. Yeah. That was uh, Not uh, in Australia? No, we, uh, um, I think it was the... Mm. I can't remember who the bodgies were against, but they sort of some of them evolved into mm. either mods or Sharpies, you know, the next generation, and then they were the ones at war. But that was in the 60s and before my time. Right. Now, are these the rebels without a cause that were the Sharpies, the bodgies, the widgies, the teddy boys? Oh, it's the... Rebels against the system. Mm. All right, let's go back to the. You talked about Australian sharpies. Mm-hmm. Were there sharpies in other Western countries, or is just this a manifestation mm. just in Australia? Just in Australia, 
Right. So the word Sharpie is an Australian word, is it? Yes. Because, you know, there's so many of what they call like diminutive words in Australia, yep. like bottolo, yep. oppo, yep. sharpie. Mm. 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 So it's a specific Australian term. Yes. And when did it originate? Uh, one of my books has a – they argue about that the whole way through it. Right. Who's in, they? In the Who's uh, they? The Voices of the Sharpies. Right. So. What I did was around about 2010, I trawled the internet and found... Trawled the internet? Yeah, on my um, when I was underemployed. Underemployed, at at the boss's time. At the boss's time. Yeah, I like this, I like this. (laughs) And I found every reference to Sharpies that I could possibly find. Mm -hmm. And then... Very productive enterprise. Yep, and then I put out... you know, a call out, yep. and oh, I got some amazing re- um, responses. Like one man um, emailed me, and he said, "I'll give you this information, and you'll never hear from me again." Mm. <laughs> so I believe he was a, a, a former career criminal who'd um, then found God and was now, um, you know, nor just an upstanding citizen. citizen. But it was really nice because the information he gave me is probably, you know, the first or second um, piece that that I sort of had of the time and place. So where do you think it originated? I mean, you've gone through all this, you've culled it, you've put some in a book, an e-book and a printed book, which I've got in my hot little hand, well, my cold little hand, and uh, where did it originate? You know what? Around about Collingwood. What? Well, no. Because they used to get their shoes, Yeah. I think, in Smith Street. Which and side of Smith to... Street? Oh, I don't know. Look, th- you're it's on very the f- important that you... Th- you know, this is, this is, <laughs> th- this is essential. We're on the Fitzroy side, mm-hmm. 3CR, 21 Smith Street. They're on the other side. And you notice the way I use the word them mm-hmm. on the other side. Is this a class thing? Of course. Yep. Obviously. <laughs> of course it's a class thing. Although you wouldn't know the difference these days between Collingwood and Fitzroy. They've all been gentrified, mm. as you would have noticed, with uh, paying your $55 taxi fare to come to Collingwood Fitzroy. So you don't know what side of the street they bought their shoes from. No. Do you know the name of the shop? Uh, I was just saying to Callie before, I haven't actually talked about Sharpie since 2015. Right. So... Um, it was uh, Cosmano's Shoes. Right. Now, I know people listening to this program would know Cosmano's Shoes. And if you give me a ring on 0439 395 489 and you can... No. Yeah, you can... No, even better. Pick up the phone now if you know which side of the street Cosmano's Shoes was on. Ring the front desk here at 3CR. 9419 and the receptionist will run up the stairs, well, walk up the stairs, and tell us. What do you reckon about that? A bit of research for your book. Awesome. Yeah, and <laughs> tell us about these shoes. What was so important about these shoes? So the bodgies and widgies, they wore um, winkle pickers, which were the really, really pointy shoes. Yes. And then, so when the next generation came along, mm. um, and, and the, sh- the Sharpies, they cut the points off. And they were sort of more bullet-nosed shoes. And uh, what was amazing about the Sharpies, we're talking about teenagers on shop wages or apprentice wages. Mm -hmm. They're leaving school as soon as they can at 14. 
and they're going and getting uh, getting jobs, and then they're spending their money on custom-made and tailor-made fashions. So they're getting their shoes handmade and designed by um, the uh, you know the European people that had come over here to European settle. European cobblers, yeah. Yep. Um, as well, they were getting their cardigans made at Sam's Knitwear in Coburg and Conti in. I think it's in Smith Street as well. I can't quite remember. Someone would know. All right, let's mm. let's let's paint a paint a word picture. Now you claim, and I haven't checked this out, that you are a sharpie. Mm-hmm. What would a sharp sharpie look woman dress? How she dress? The interesting thing about being a sharpie is, if you look at my school photo and I'm in school uniform, you know that I'm a sharpie. How? I stand out from the rest of the How? students. My hair is different and I'm wearing treads and it's summer and for some reason I'm wearing my jumper. Right. Everyone else has got long kind of Farrah Fawcett hair yep. and I've got hair that's sort of cropped short, a bit like David Bowie. And how old would you have been? In that photo I would have been 15. So is this something for the under-20s, being a Sharpie or did you get Yes. Up? Yeah. Now... How, how, what would the men or the young men look like? What would they wear? Uh, so for my particular generation of Sharpies, they would wear either Stagger's jeans, so, mm. um, you know, with flared bottoms and... Flared platform, bottoms? Platform shoes or straight legs. Or um, I had one boyfriend that used to actually get his uh, baggies, which was just um, another name for the gabardine, flared gabardine slacks. He used to get them... Um, you know, he used to design them at mm. a menswear shop in Moorlbark. Mm. Oh. Did he have any money left over for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh. Were Sharpies involved in criminal activity? Yeah, probably. Shoplifting, yeah, vandalism. Yeah. They were teenagers. No, no, no. Right, no, no, Teens. no. They were teenagers. Not every teenager. So you said they were against the system. What were they for? Did they have anything they were for? Were they just against? I think they were just against. Yeah. We Rebels have, without a cause. Yeah, yeah. Rebels without a bloody cause. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Rebelling against the stupid adults and the hypocrisy. Uh, hypocrisy. Uh, yeah, so they didn't, they didn't travel around in cars. They had to catch the train, did they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the bus. Yeah, there would be some that had cars, some uh, of the older ones. It, it, the 60s was a bit different. Right. I can't talk to that because I wasn't there. But um, Well, you've done the research. Yeah. What is the 60s? What's the difference between this? You said this is an inter- intergenerational disease, you know, mm. <laughs> being a sharp. Mm. Well, you know, they, they went to dances, so they didn't go to dances. pubs. They didn't go to pubs? No. Alcohol but, wasn't involved. Oh, plenty of alcohol was involved, but they weren't old enough to get into hotels oh, most right, of the that's time. that's right. I was 21 those days. That's right. Mm. So they didn't go to pubs. How about drugs? Uh, towards the late 70s. Right, when everybody was into it. They weren't glue sniffers in the 60s? It's petrol sniffers? Not no. that I know of. Right. So if you saw a group of uh, Sharpies on the street... And you were your age, what would you do? Now? Yep. That's, that actually came up today. Today? Yep. When I, I decided to catch the train down, mm. and when I was walking across the station, it, you know, to the car park, mm. it was full of station rats. Right. And I felt intimidated. 
And then I laughed to myself because I was a station rat in Croydon in 1976. You know, we were the people that everybody avoided. You know, we were the unpredictable people. So, you know, once again, you know, um, the hypocrisy of getting older and just forgetting. Yeah, Mm. your past had caught up with you. So Mm. did you laugh? Did you smile at the station rats as you walked past? I smiled at one of them, yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So what's a station rat? (laughs) I was waiting for that. (laughs) I just thought it sounded great. It's it's a great thing. I know about station rats, don't you? I mean, I, I hung around Springvale Station for about two weeks and I met a lot of station rats. That's another part of my story. Look, I just believe that it's, um, you know, station rat's probably not a nice term, but it's... Well, it's not supposed to be a nice term, is it? um, The vulnerable people and the homeless people, the people that might have been um, left out of society, Mm -hmm. often congregate in, you know, in malls, shopping centres and train stations. Well, they don't congregate in malls and shopping centres anymore because of personal security. They get moved on. on. It's the same in train stations, you know. It's one of the few places where if you're homeless, you can charge your phone yep. or something like that, you yeah. know. They've got public, um, private, but in public um, uh, PowerPoints, you know. It's hard to find things like that when you're on the street. Maybe it's a bit, I don't know, because I haven't been to Melbourne for so long, but, you know, in the regional town that I live in, um, it wasn't that long ago that the homeless people had a camp on the side steps of the town hall. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at, your little book, well, your, your big book. It's not a little book. It's over almost three hundred pages, and it's called "Snap Compiled" by Julie Mack. Now that's interesting that you use the word "compiled." What do you mean? Because I pieced together the stories that I found online and the mm. information about the Sharpies. So there's no commentary by me. I'm not trying to make sense of it, or um, you know put in my interpretation. I just pieced everything together as best I could in um, sort of chronological order and and just let the the book speak for itself. Yeah, looking at the pictures of these people, these are the scum that us hippies used to hate because <laughs> they used to hate hippies in mm. the 70s. But and then- I, I, you know, because we actually had a little bit of a political... Analysis. These were just people who. Mm. Well, they're kids on the front. Yeah, you know. kids. Yeah. Yeah, the young girls. With the sneer, with the sneer. Yeah. You know, the look. The girls fourteen. Yep. Yeah. And the boys probably sixteen. Mm, mm. Yeah, they remind. What me. were they influenced by with their um, fashion? Where did it come from? The cardigans and. Um. My guess is so with the bodgies, they copied the. Um, the, the fashions that were coming out after the war and they wore suits and beautiful shiny shoes. But they were called, apparently, they were called bodgies because the clothes were made out of inferior quality um, materials and they didn't like that. And then some of them started spending more on getting their clothing made and they said, I'm, my clothes aren't bodgy, my clothes are sharp. But that's just one of the... Sounds reasonable. Yeah, yeah that's just good. one of the folk tales. Mm. And when they cut off the pointy end of their shoes, what, did their toes stick out? No, what? No, oh, no, no, just no, the no. fashion. It's that, a that, fashion. That, it changed. That, what they did is they, got, they, they used the little money they had from their jobs to go to Italian shoemakers, which had set up um, around Carlton, 
and uh, here in Smith Street, and they say, this is what I want. Oh, we pay mm. $500 for, well, not me, but you, people like you, Kelly, young people, you pay $500 to get a proper shoes made for you. That's what they did. That's so impressive. Not mm. many people have their clothes made these no. days. So the shoes were um, usually, um, I've got to remember, uh, chisel-toed suede yep. in a sort of brogue style. And uh, with the stacked Cuban leather heel. Have you spoken to the National Gallery of Victoria regarding doing an exhibition? I'm I'm being very serious about this because this was an important period. You've got here from 52 to 87, so it's spanning a number of generations, three different generations. And it it was 52 or 62? 52. Look, I haven't made any inquiries with um, any of the, you know, the larger institutions for about 10 years. Mm. Um, The ones that I did make, there's still people that can't get their head around that it's not Romper Stomper. Uh. And they, like, for example, there's no funding for movies. No. A movie about the subculture. No, I'm not talking about a funding for a movie. Oh, no, but yeah. um, so mm. the ones I have approached, they've just sort of said, no, we're not interested, but it might be worthwhile approaching someone now. Well, I think some, now. some of the regional galleries, like mm. the Bendigo, Ballarat, they actually do specific things, the National Gallery of Victoria, because it is an important era. It did mm. involve, and most of these kids are now our age, unfortunately, those mm. that survived. And um, well, I need to find someone to, um, you know, donate my clothing collection to. Well, exactly. There's the, uh, the f- and this is what I'm talking about. Mm. They will have, uh, what do they call them, Kelly? Curators. curators. They will have curators mm. in different areas, and they'd be very interested. And I think it would be, it would be an interesting exhibition because as you said it's an australian exhibition mm-hmm. it's not about a blockbuster from overseas where you pay lots of money to see you know a da vinci or something this is this is an a, a australian movement which was over 35 years which had a profound impact on a lot of people mm. a while ago mm. i saw that the um Royal Historical Society of Victoria were putting on a 70s exhibition. And there have been two private exhibitions in the past um, run by Sam Biondo. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's just, he's a Sharpie enthusiast and grew up in um, Jordanville. That's Mm. the right place. Um, And anyway, so when I saw that they were putting a call out for 70s things, I rang Sam and said, look, the deadline's passed, but give them a call. And he went there and he's, you know, he's a good talker and he knows his stuff. And he was able to get a whole cabinet dedicated to to the Sharpie movement. Mm. Everything else was sort of dedicated to the political movements, yeah. to, you know, yeah. pro-act and fashion and mm. things like that. And I was invited to talk on the opening night and mm. I remembered this... Um, I'm just going to describe him as a pompous little man with a bow tie. Mm -hmm. And he's standing up on the... um, Dias, yeah. Yeah. And he says, oh, you know, thank you for coming along. And, you know, we've got this and we've got... And, oh, we've got the Sharpies here. Mm. (laughs) What's it going to be next? The bikies? Yeah. And, you know, that's that's what we're up against. And, you know, we just keep banging on until someone sort of says hey, we really need to make sure this is recorded properly. When you really look at this, I don't know if you've actually realised this, 
this is a catalogue of working class culture which actually rang parallel with the university culture which spawned the anti-war movement and the hippies and they actually were coexisting at the same time. So what you've got here is a catalogue of working class culture which was created by these kids in urban Australia during a period where little happened and it ran kind of parallel because the hippies didn't come in until you know, the late 60s, early 70s and then they mm. swamped everything and uh, people forgot about that. But uh, this is what this is, real urban working class culture. Congratulations, Julie Mack. Thank you. You gave me goosebumps. <laughs> it's so true. You could definitely get a grant to put this on as a star in some local council yeah. area. Yeah, you yeah. could have a, an amazing, like an event mm. running over a, a week or something with artefacts around the photos. You could have old Sharpies come and talk. You might have a band or two. You could definitely get that up and yeah, going. Yeah, but what you want is somebody else to do it on mm. your behalf. Look, the closest we mm. got to, um, oh, I'll, I'll try and use the word mainstream recognition, um, Glenn from Vicious Sloth Records on the other side of town, he worked with Warner Music to mm. put out a CD mm. of uh, Sharpie music. But mm. what he did, he'd often get the, the B-sides of the um, from the artists or just lesser-known songs. Mm. And they put, uh, they had a great little Sharpie booklet in there with photos as well. And there was a, a music launch, a CD launch in Richmond. And I did a, a presentation there on, on the Sharpie movement. That's the closest that and um, being invited to speak at the Royal Historical Society of Victoria. That's the closest we've had to any formal recognition. Yeah, yeah I reckon, I reckon the National Gallery of Victoria... Mention my name and you'll go far. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I know the director. But uh, what I'm, I'm being serious. I mean, very mm, serious because, mm. as I said, this is a working class culture which has basically been s swept under the carpet, forgotten. Mm, mm. I mean, everybody... Not in the community, though. That's the thing. Like, it's very not, well not, known in the community. Yes, but not in the community that counts, that has money and influence, which is the... All the hippies, which became bureaucrats and politicians, who've forgotten where they came from, these people didn't forget where they came from. Mm -hmm. And uh, in many in many regards, they are the predecessors of the punk movement. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier, mm. Julie. Well, we? I became a punk. Mm. Um, I progressed from being a, um, a sharpie to a punk, and mm. dyed my hair green when I was sixteen, and. Went to the Crystal Ballroom in um, Fitzroy. But what's really interesting is, you know, I was able to write the whole Sharpie book quite easily. But if you asked me to write about the punk movement, wouldn't be able to remember it. It could be. <laughs> That's normal. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it could be because of um, the alcohol. It and could the be drugs, because, yeah, yeah. you know what, there were no emotional firsts. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. No, you're quite right. Mm. Now, you mentioned the Crystal Ballroom. Mm -hmm. What would a young. Sharpie woman and guy be doing at the Crystal Ballroom? What type of dancing? Was there a lot of 
lot pogo. of pogo. Pogo. What's that? It was that? a pogo at the time. Yeah. Uh, watch the film clip of Patrick. Uh, now you tell Bertrand. us. No, no. You tell us what a pogo. What did <laughs> it entail? Uh, basically, just uh, standing with your arms beside you and uh-huh. jumping up and down. And there wasn't any illicit behaviour, any groping or anything like that in the dance. No. no. No, I remember. Just jumping up and down. Yeah. Teenage you have to be really fit. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Te- well, they are at that age. Yeah, the Crystal Ballroom. I think it might have been in the George Hotel. I, I can't quite remember, but uh, it was a... Um, is this before it went to St Kilda? It was in St Kilda. Oh, in St yeah. Kilda. Yeah. yeah. And, um, like, there was a chandelier and a wooden floor, and if uh, you are in the downstairs floor, you'd look up, the chandeliers would be wobbling and the floor <laughs> would be flexing. As you yeah. Pogo. And what type of music would accompany it? A lot of sort of garage band uh, sort of punk, um, mm. but early musicians we saw there were um, Flowers before they became Ice House. I saw The Cure there. Um, La Femme was the band that I followed. They were probably one of um, Victoria's first punk rock band and they were very good. They made it onto Countdown, but they just couldn't play the corp. Well, they chose not to play the corporate game. Yeah. Yeah. So they, you know, they, um, they're sort of now um, more legendary. Yes, for mm. that reason, and everybody else has forgotten about the other. You played the corporate game. Now, I've got this little book away. Unfortunately, I gave away the copy you gave to me <laughs> to one of those women on the previous program, Wednesday, lazy Wednesday afternoon. You walked in. And, and we mentioned, well, Kelly, I wouldn't dare mention, I wouldn't talk to those women, but <laughs> Kelly mentioned, well, I've known them for three decades, you don't talk after three decades, Kelly mentioned that you'd written this book and you were almost like a godlike figure. And these are women in their 60s, you know, <laughs> unbelievable. They just were bowing and fawning and they're, 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 they're household names here at 3CR. Oh, you're funny. No, no, no I'm not was, funny. It's no, true. It's, it's true. true. Look, it didn't appear like that to me. It just appeared like three teenage girls that are really excited and squealing because they've got something in common. No, 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 no. You're that head teenage girl. You're the one leading the pogo pogo. I could tell. They were so excited. Yeah. They, I just felt so sorry for those old people that I actually gave them my copy of the book. You told me there's only 10 copies left. Mm, Yeah. Well, I published that in um, 2013. At the time, we had 250 copies uh, printed Mm -hmm. and most of them were sold at the the book launch, which was um, the same day was a CD launch for a band called City Sharps. I've mentioned Sam Biondo before who put on the exhibitions. Uh, Well, he's a musician and um, the lead singer of that band is actually Shane Shane from La Femme. Mm. And... um, so Sam sells them on his um, site, mm. but um, what's that site, Julie? How can people uh, get a copy? Oh, actually, he hasn't got any either. What's no. your site? Uh, I've actually just when I was coming on here, I thought it's taken me thirteen years. I really should get these in ebook format. Mm-hmm. Excellent, especially too because there's a lot of interest overseas. Yeah, with we're people. running out of time. Okay. Tell us, tell us uh, where on Amazon. And what do they look for? I uh, just type in the word Julie Mac Sharpies. But you've got right. a website. No, not anymore. No. I just looked it up before. Not anymore. Oh. Oh. They, li- they live on forever. Yeah. Oh, the City Sharps have got yeah. a 
website. I don't know. I, I typed in your name and it's come up straight away with the a Sharpie website. Oh, yeah, wow. That, that, okay. Yeah. Now I've got a problem. People could type in your name, Julie Mac Sharps, and it'll come up. Mm, okay. Mm. I've got a problem. Mm-hmm. Got a problem, Kelly. I don't want to know about it. Yes, you do. Remember our previous producer whose job you took over? Remember, oh, right. Remember her name? Yes, my friend of mine, yes, yeah, yes. Remember her name? Miss Dale, yes, yes. Miss Dale, Miss Dale. She's turning 50. Yeah, I'm going to her party on yeah. Saturday. Look, I promised to buy her a black cane with a skull on top for a birthday present because I can't make it. So, I'm looking here on page 114, it says about your group had, had canes. That was the South Australian Sharpies. They had canes. Yeah. Maybe they could help me out with my dilemma. What do you reckon? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe there's an old cane for a six-foot woman who's turning <laughs> 50 with a skull on top. Black. Black. I've got real problems here. Dale, I'm looking. I'm looking. Jilly Mac. Thank you very much. You've been a wonderful guest. I'm sure you brought back a lot of memories to many of our working class listeners. And uh, Kelly Whitworth, you've been irrepressible and an ornament to Radical Australia. Oh, that's wonderful. Wonderful. (laughs) Thank you for being a marvellous host. It's nice not being ambushed on the radio. Why would I ambush you? Oh, it's happened in the past. I've got a list of stations that I probably wouldn't go back to. Well, you're welcome here any time. Thank if you. If you, if, you do a, a new, if you get that exhibition, I want to open it, okay? Oh, I would love that. <laughs> it's not your thing. No, no, no. You've got to wear a bow tie it. and be a pompous. I can do that. It's not a problem. Oh, that's my normal persona. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Julie. Thank Thanks you so Julie. much. And thank you to our listeners. I spent it in good and all the harm I've ever done Alas, it was to none but me And all I've done for want of wit The memory now I can't recall So fell to me the parting glass Good night and joy be with you all
You're listening to 855 AM. The Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion, and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Stay tuned in to 3CR Community Radio. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.